Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We have to start in one place, don't we? There's only yeah. one place we could possibly start I th- I think so. after the last couple of games. So we it head has this to start with Domino's Pizza. Yeah. I mean, that is certainly one option, one place we can start. Thank you for the advert. The advert break has actually finished now. Yeah, um, it came two and a half hours late. Yeah, like. DuPont Pizza. Yes. Or Pete's of DuPont, the piece of DuPont that has left him. Yes. Yeah, it's impossible to think about anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... So we're recording this the evening of the France-Namibia game. France winning 96-0, their all-time biggest Rugby World Cup scoreline, the biggest Rugby World Cup scoreline in 20 years. The fifth biggest ever, you know, not since we kind of left the professional behind properly following that, you know. First time... It looked like it would be the first time that would hit 100 since 2007, you know. 2003. Um, well, New Zealand-Portugal, 2007. Of course, of course, of course. But... It's been a long time. Yeah. The point. Uh, and Namibia managed to just about hold them out with Go Figure throwing a ball into touch in the last play, mm. I think it was. So, lol. Yeah. But that game was, of course, perhaps overshadowed yeah. by another incident in the second half. Yeah. As the, the full time whistle went, they started playing free, by, free from desire yeah. over the PA in Marseille. And the and crowd were all- like, okay. We'll sing along with this. Yeah, but... we, we might be freed from desire. We're not freed from anxious worry. Yeah, exactly. And like, it was the most anxious sing along to free from desire in history, where it's like, we'll sing along with this if we have to, because we enjoy the fact we won. But there is something much more important on our You've mind right now. You've never seen a home crowd react so poorly to a 96 nil loss. Asking, win, 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 win. Yeah. Asking whether that was worth it. Yeah. We are, of course, referring to. The disallowed interception try by Devon Rousseau. But we actually are, is the thing. <laughs> yes, yes we the are. The reason why that was disallowed. Because Johan Dezel threw his head into the head of the, dead. the best player in the world, Antoine Dupont. Yeah, Cleveland Laubser was friendly fire. Yeah, so as we record this, there's a good chance by the time this goes out, you may have had a further update. Yeah. As we record this, all of France is refreshing Twitter endlessly all of rugby is just refreshing all of other social media repeatedly i don't think any rugby fan is going to sleep well tonight no i feel like it's, it's going to be one of those things that if you half wake up in the night any rugby fan is just going to quickly check twitter and see have we heard anything on dupont yeah right. the last we've heard as of right now which we mm. called it's just gone midnight just gone midnight in france so last we have heard is fabian galtier has said that he's gone to hospital uh, it's something to do with his jaw. It's looking like it's either a crack or a fracture on his jaw. Yeah. Which is not good. Does not bode well. No. However, the World Cup finals we record this is 37 days away. Yeah. Right. We're getting very close now. That does mean I'm, I've got 40 days before I go home. And that is what's also lingering over. <laughs> but that is enough time. We've seen players recover in past from yeah. similar injuries. You know, Sonny McLaughlin brought up on Twitter, Brad Barrett managed to get back in about eight days yeah. after one from having the operation immediately. Um, if that is possible, 
you know France will be pushing DuPont oh, yeah. to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is why they you know, probably sent him away in a ver- an emergency vehicle as yeah. soon as he went off that field. Apparently, it's a, it's a thing that sometimes Premier League footballers, if they have mm-hmm. a, a crack in their cheekbone, which is looking like it still potentially mm. could be, and it's probably his jaw, then apparently two to three weeks they can play again in a mask. Or, yeah, cause Very I made, different in rugby. I made the d- reference at the time, you know, as we were hearing there was a potential fracture for Antoine Dupont, you know, as you're hearing it wasn't just a basic HIA. I made the point of... Imanol Aronodiki mm. in periods of season where they got the Heineken Cup final in about 2010. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Him playing the final because he had a broken nose with this ridiculous cardboard mask on. And he had a cracked rib as well. Yeah. He just ignored that one. He didn't have a big cardboard thing over his ribs, but he did have one over his nose so that he didn't further injure his nose. Yeah. What the chance of DuPont lifting the William Wimbellis Cup with a massive piece of cardboard on his snores? Well, last year we saw all the photos of Lionel Messi lifting the Football World Cup. With the the clothes draped over, I don't know what it's what it's called. Uh, they gave him in Qatar, and like I remember afterwards, Gary Lineker going like, "That has slightly dampened it there, mm. you know." So it could be like the same thing, but I'm sure Antoine would pull it off with his massive face. Yes, maybe, maybe this just means that he is going to play in that fluffy yellow dressing gown. That would be good. That maybe this is his him. way out of it. Yeah, maybe he just wears that in hospital, and that's got magical healing powers. And that is actually what Wasaki Naholo did in 2015: yes. is he went to a cave in Fiji and they gave him a yellow dressing gown, and he just healed. I hope this whole thing is just a big publicity stunt to yeah. promote the big yellow dressing gown. I feel like I'm we sorry. are in such bad denial. Look, here. we yeah, we we haven't done the 2015 series on this podcast and basketball. I can't just refer people back to it. In the 2015 pod- World Cup, for people who are perhaps less aware of this, mm. uh, Wasaki Naholo. The Fijian descended All Blacks winger broke his leg a few weeks before the tournament, a few weeks before the tournament, having been named in the squad. And they were like, oh, it's too bad. You're going to be out of the tournament. You're not going to play now. You've broken your leg. And he went, no, it's okay. I know a guy. And he went to Fiji. Like, apparently his mate was like, you need to come to Fiji. And I know a guy in a cave who will heal you. Who will rub a feather on your leg? Yeah. Or well, he went, so he went into this cave in Fiji and he came out and his magical, his broken leg was fixed in two weeks. And he played in the second game of the All Blacks. Yeah. That and yeah, it was two weeks before the tournament that he broke it. And what's mad about that? He did that twice. Yeah. He's broken his leg twice and both times he's into a cave in Fiji and just come out fine. So if anybody can supply a private jet to the Marseille area, to get Antoine Dupont to Fiji. Yes. Or if we can get the guy and also the cave to Marseille. That's it though. It's you've probably got to more convenient. the cave. Because I think yeah. it's the cave that has magical healing powers. I think it is. I think what you've got to do is you've got to get Dupont all the way. And like, look, World Rugby has all kinds of environmental policies in place that they are neglecting and they're not holding up. And there's an awful lot that is not being followed up on. David Pocock will uh, no doubt be telling you more. Yeah. However... Look, if what it takes is dragging an entire continent over, just dragging the island of Fiji it's over. It's worth it. Yeah. The people so that need Antoine. can get there easier. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe I'm it's willing worth it. to give up my cheekbones. If I'm he, willing to if give up wants, the future of the planet. Yeah. If he wants a cheekbone, I will give him mine. Okay? Yes. I just, I just want to see the guy play. He's got such big hamster cheeks as well. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's, that's the thing. Maybe he's just now got a normal cheek. I don't know. This is jaw, isn't it? I don't yeah. know. Oh, we're both so, like suffering so badly from this. I think it's probably quite clear to see. We're also suffering quite badly because this has been a really long day. It has. We got up at 5am in Nice. Yeah. Having Some of us didn't sleep. <laughs> last night for Uruguay's heartbreaking loss to Italy. Yeah. Which feels so long ago now. It really does. Do you want 
talk about that game. Yeah, so we got up at 5am to leave in order to get to Lyon ahead of Wales's game against Australia at the weekend. Yeah. It was a very, very early train. Our accommodation got cancelled because it's presumably a scam. It's a whole thing. Two Where days it, out from us being there. Yeah, we, I just got a message out of the blue saying, sorry, apartment is no longer available. Turns out when you start reading the reviews, they do this all the time. Yeah. And it could well be a scam where they're trying to Probably you know, get people exist. into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had to book accommodation really last minute. We had some people for like two days and I was literally finding accommodation on the train to Lyon so yeah. we can have something sorted because it's been such a nightmare. Thanks for that. <laughs> and um, we're in, for the record, we're in a very, very nice accommodation right now. Yeah, so it's all right. So it's been a hell of a day. We arrived, we got there. You mentioned the incident with the Domino's pizza, which didn't arrive, took like almost three hours to arrive, which yeah. is ridiculous. And then they didn't have our bottle of Coke when they arrived. <laughs> so I had to go back and get that from the depot again. That's like being Lawrence Delalio. Yeah. The Coke not arriving, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a long day um, and a long day of processing and I think dealing with what happened yesterday. Because for me, I had this kind of pencil before the tournament is maybe the big surprise, maybe mm. the big upset yeah. in the making. And I knew Italy were a much better team, but I also, the moment you saw that France game, you thought, well, they can do this. Yeah. You know, this Uruguay team is as serious a side as I was hoping they'd be. Yeah. And for 45 minutes, they really looked like it. Yeah. I, I went in thinking Uruguay would do this, mm. thinking that they would, they, they would get the upset, you know, that, that they would win the game. And there were people kind of asking us at the time, like, did you see this coming? We were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is before Italy just turned it on. Like, hats off to Italy. They were phenomenal. Yeah. Like, in the second half, we really saw the absolute peak of what those guys are capable of. Yeah. Well, I think this is the thing, right? So Uruguay basically been targeting this game for three years since they qualified. Yeah. And actually before they qualified, I think I mentioned this elsewhere, but Esteban Manet says their coach and Alonso Villanueva apparently when the draw was done had a text conversation about how we need to get in that group because it's our best chance to win two games. So they really targeted America's one, like even harder than normal in order to get into this group so yeah. they could face both Namibia get a game where they'll be favourites they know they can win it you know they played them in a World Cup warm-up and they beat them and they've got a really strong history of beating them Yeah, and then a game they can target as the upset similar to the Fiji game and this Italy match was the one that they targeted yes and the thing is I think in some ways Uruguay were victims of their own success. Yeah, I think there, there is an error of that, you know, with the France game mm. coming the week beforehand where they denied them the bonus point. And I loved the way Espen and we talked about this, but the way that he shifted the goalpost and said like, no, after that, we want to beat the All Blacks. Yeah. And he was, he was up front about it. He said, we want to beat the All Blacks and we have to beat Italy. Yeah. Now, and there was a level of pressure on Uruguay. and But only that, from within. Yes. Right. I think that was the thing that because I've done so much reading up on Uruguay because I was following them so in such detail to research the video because I love them as well and because I do like follow them incredibly hard and because Ignacio Chan to mention him in particular Uruguayan journalist who is a phenomenal follower mm. to it like really worth going and looking at he's absolutely brilliant episode. yeah he's he's just superb uh, but he's been doing such brilliant content from inside the Uruguay and Chile and occasionally Portugal camps and just like really going in there and really diving in he's been doing such great stuff on how they've been preparing for the Italy game Yeah, and I think reading a lot of that that and being really into it, I was like, well, this almost wouldn't be an upset because I've been thinking yeah, about it. I've been thinking mean. about this for over a year because I've sort of just from reading stuff with Manet says. In theory, this is, is a, a pretty evenly matched contest. Yeah. You know? 
But I think the neutral is perhaps going and going, well, it's a tier two team. And, yeah. You know, like people don't really take Uruguay seriously, which is a real frustration, I think. Yeah. But or certainly for me, I think especially for the Uruguay team. Sure. You had well, a piece uh, Ignacio Chan did with the head of South America Rugby who was saying that really the, the goal for this World Cup is just to get to a place in which World Rugby take us seriously. Mm, sure. You know, like sure. we don't think we can change anything in terms of the World League, but we can start debate and we can start get people on our side for that. What I think is important is Italy did take them seriously. Yeah. Italy knew exactly the threat that was posed there, did their analysis, picked their strongest team and really came, you know, switched on from, like, mm. the, from the very first kickoff. Like for that first 20 minutes of the game, Italy dominated them in all aspects of the game, apart from one, which we'll come on to in a moment. But almost every single facet of the game Italy were on top of and they got 7-0 up and only 7-0 up to say they were so completely dominant in all but one area being the breakdown yeah and that's it, isn't it? Because you look at their opening try, right? It's a brilliant kick. I think it's Kappa Woodsaw puts it through mm-hmm. on the yes, wing. It is, yeah. Catches them off guard, Uruguay. Ends up Freitas carrying it back over his own line. And this is something I said to you at the time, but like, no matter where he's starting from, no matter where you're starting from, no matter how quick you are, Nikolai Freitas will beat literally anyone to chase <laughs> yes. back to dive on a loose ball Indeed. on his own goal line like he's just like he is undefeated in that area of sure, the game. that facet sure. of the game there's no one better than him in the world yeah so he gets back you know he saves the tribe but costs on the scrum five they're then their scrum is decimated having had the kicking game caught out and their you know defensive backfield stuff caught out and then lorenzo parney makes a great carry and summer manages to ground the ball yeah and really clinical just, try yeah really well taken for it but it is like start. three key areas in terms of physicality defense scrum kicking game and cover yeah. defensively, just finding space defensively quite easily. Like really key areas, just Uruguay aren't up to Italy standard. Yeah. And then from there, they start to even things up a bit and you're, Italy are still on top, but Uruguay are kicking incredibly well from about that moment onwards. Yeah. There's an interesting moment, I think, that kind of changes the game where Felipe Estevere misses his second penalty, his second kick, and he feels a bit like he's starting to lose his head and he makes another error. I think he puts his kick out on the floor, he gets charged yeah. down. He drops one back- backwards, thankfully, in the high uh, yeah. field as well. And you just start to get a sense that, oh, he's, he's wobbling a bit here. You yeah. Know, he's not quite with it, as he did a few years ago, and he settled himself down a lot. And yeah, since. left six points out on the tee. Yeah. Like. And then, out of nowhere, Nicola Freitas makes a huge interception, mm. and doesn't quite finish it, but gets them up to the five-meter line. Yeah. And from there, Uruguay keep pressing, and suddenly the whole momentum of the game changes, and you see Eshevery change, and the whole composure of Uruguay and their key game managers and their key players just shifts on a dime. Yeah, yeah. and when they're getting penalties, they send, then start going to the corners and really squeezing Italy because they've kind of realised, oh no, we are capable of this. Yeah. And the first one was a penalty try, wasn't it? No, because the first goal was Freitas in the corner. Oh, I thought it was the second one. But anyway, they eked out some... Oh no, you're right. Sorry, you're you're right. Sorry, we do that again. Yeah, sorry. Okay. So the first one was the penalty try, wasn't it? Yes, of course, yeah. And... Yeah, like that was just really clinically taken. Yeah. They managed to get Italy down to 13 players because Italy's discipline was so bad because the Uruguayan pressure was, was such. Mm. And at that point, you kind of figured like, oh, Uruguay has so much more in them. Yeah. Yeah. And they start to slowly turn the screw. You get that real sense of everything they've been preparing. They are incredibly... Suddenly, their discipline was all over the place in the first 20 minutes as well. And suddenly that changes the referee is Angus Gardner is getting visibly pissed off with Italy yeah and Uruguay are approaching this incredibly differently now they are tactically absolutely spot on we talked about them running an awful lot against France and them keeping the ball in hand and being really disciplined there's something with the way Uruguay are playing and I might pick up this up in a video 
but they're playing so tight on the game line. Mm. And a lot of teams play with far more depth from their the first player closest to the defensive line and yeah. the first player back. Uruguay's is so compact and in many ways that allows them to be less expansive, but also it allows for an incredible level of ball retention. Because the forwards and everyone else is not moving far to get there. Yeah. Like they're comparatively moving not nearly as far as other teams who are going far wider. And on top of that, like sometimes you can play really good defences and when mm. you're playing that flat to the line, you can change a picture last second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, so, like Nicola Freitas. So mm. let's carry on talking about him. And to be fair, this is totally true of that try. Yeah. That, you know, he can change his line. Off the ball. He's extremely good at picking a line late, communicating it and hitting a line really, really well. In fact, let's talk about it because that's how he scored his try. Yeah. Him and Echeverry both flash back around to that blind side. Their body language is so, so subtle. It looked like on the open side, Echeverry was ready to take it for his mm. receiver and have Freitas run in his boot. Whereas the whole time, clearly three or four phases in advance, they were calling like, right, we are going to flash him. Mm. And the Rata had that information already in his head. And they did that. And then Echeverry got it in and out of his hand straight away and Freitas dived in the, dives in the corner. Mm. It's extremely similar, actually, different way to... We talk, spoke about that break that Freitas made at the start of the second half against yeah. France last week. Yeah. And just the way that he picks his line really, really late off Echeverry, who's extremely calm in the way he delivers. Again, the body language of like, oh, I'm just attacking here. I'm probably going to go wide. Oh, wait, no, I'm going to lift that little ball and the outside of me and both of those players and the general Uruguayan backline mm. are so so good at that Echeverry in particular I just think it really knows how to manage an attack and just how, how to be unpredictable as a yeah. team he's really really good is the thing Yeah, and I think he had some wobbles here and there are some kind of it was an imperfect game yeah Echeverry but what he but did was exceptional in terms of his ability and what he can do he is as good a 10 as any tier 2 nation has Yeah, as any of the smaller teams have out there his ability to manage an attack and increasingly to manage a game are superb the one problem is he has that thing that when he starts to make errors, he just compounds them and he gets worse yeah. and worse and worse. Yeah. And we saw that in the second half. But in this first half, the moment he does one thing right and it leads to that penalty try, suddenly he is building in confidence. And like that is an incredibly ballsy play that he pulls yeah. out for the Freitas try. Because you are overriding your entire pack there. And you're yeah. going, actually, I know best. Risking going into touch yeah. as well. You're taking a risk and it pays off immediately with what's, Freitas scoring. What's well, like... And then he nails the touchline conversion, which yeah, is incredible. Yeah, nailing the touchline conversion, because like his goal kicking has been not great so far this yeah. tournament. He nails the touchline conversion, and he nails that drop goal. The most haphazard drop goal you oh, can possibly mate. imagine. Can we talk about I the drop goal? It. That's maybe the highlight of the tournament for me so we far. We were saying this at half-time, like, that was utterly bonkers, because snap drop goals just aren't really a thing anymore. When no. somebody just on the spot just goes, oh yeah, fuck it, like, I'm just going to ping this over and here. And if they are, they tend to happen off dropouts. Yeah. So to see him go for it off like fourth fade or something, I don't think where they're that. going forward, so they sort of, yeah, like off a scrum, they go wide, they then make another phase of momentum, yeah, they get between the posts, and he just goes like, brilliant, I'm having this. It's a hell of a shot, and then, you know, when the referee goes upstairs and you see it clearly goes over. Because, don't get me wrong, obviously it clearly went over, but I don't blame Gardner for thinking, I cannot possibly believe he scored that. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely incredible. It's yeah. a moment of game management, of scoreboard management, and of knowing what his team wants and needs. Yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. It completely changed the game. It felt yeah. in that moment. And if it weren't for a couple of further game-changing moments, I think it could have had a real impact on the scoreline. Because yes. suddenly 10 points is a proper margin to overcome rather Massively. than one score in your level. I want to add, 
We've spoken about Italy's really shoddy discipline in that kind yeah. of second quarter. The third quarter, the way they turned that round, I think it was just exceptional. Mm. I think a lot of credit has to go to Michele Lamoureux as captain. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of times before in Six Nations, I love Michele Lamoureux by the way, where he has like pushed referee's buttons a little bit yeah, and pushed yeah. his luck a little bit with what decisions he can try, possibly try and get out of them. Whereas he didn't do that this time because he realised that they were losing the referee, was just emotionally very intelligent, removed himself from the situation and then eventually when Italy got on top, then got himself involved again mm. and just led by example. I think that that was one of Lamar's best games I've seen him play for Italy and I've seen him play quite a few good ones. Well, and he starts it with the dry in the yes. second half to bring them back into the game. It was a proper captain's performance. I don't in any way criticise him being man of the match. And I know a few people pointed to Tommy Allen. I thought Alexander Garbisi was outstanding. Yeah. I think there's a few performances on that team who easily could have got man of the match. But I ultimately, Lamar. Lamar. I'm not going to argue with Lamar at all. I think he was absolutely phenomenal. And there's a, you know, another guy for Uruguay as well, I think was very much up there, even though the score then ended up eventually quite ugly against them. But the thing is, right, that half time is such an interesting situation from a Uruguayan point of view. And the, the, the really frustrating thing for me as a fan watching and the thing I keep reflecting on, and this might be a slightly niche reference for a lot of listeners, but that Ospreys game against Saracens a few months ago, the round 16 game in Europe, I had kind of sold myself a dream of this is possible. And look, it's unlikely, but it's possible. And I built in my head over some weeks leading into that, because like, we knew that game was coming for the Ospreys before the Six Nations. Over the Six Nations, it built into my head. It was like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to go to Saracen. We're going to beat them. And he turned up on the day and it was, this ground was full of Ospreys fans. And then they scored the first two tries and they were ahead and it was amazing. And then they start to piss off the referee and things start to go a bit more pear shaped. And then Reese Webb throws one of the stupidest passes I've ever seen and Saracens pull away with it and it, it, it becomes ultimately crushing. That game yesterday felt, as we record this, felt almost exactly the same mm. in the way Uruguay did the thing. They built to a position in which you're like, oh, this wasn't just a dream. They can do this and they can kick on and win this. And there are, you know, if that game is played in a hundred universes from halftime onwards, Uruguay wins 30 of them. Yeah. You know, 40 yeah. of them. Uruguay has a very decent perspective, you know, number of those games. It isn't just that they got lucky in one or two. No, it was, I what, think... it was what they were preparing for. Yeah. Aside from the first 20 where they got a bit dominated, but they managed to ride that out. Yeah. You know, that they weren't worried by that, clearly. And I think that the, they just felt in energy a huge difference between that first 20 by Italy and that second half where yeah. they pulled away. And the interesting thing is then, I think there's like two or three, probably three turning points in that first... 10, 12 minutes after yeah. halftime that completely changed the game and completely changed Uruguay's World Cup and potentially rugby history as a whole. <laughs> so you have two charge down kicks. Yes. Which are huge. Both by Echeverry, one of which Incanate then makes a horrible mess of trying to recover and it ends up with Italy recovering the ball inside the 22. Italy score two tries really early in the half, one of them through Lamoro, and then one shortly afterwards from Ioanni. Yeah. Which Picked were, his line brilliantly. Yeah. But both of them come from charge down kicks. Yes. Both of them come from Felipe Esfero making the correct tactical decision. And like, well, from where we were sat on the ground, like you can see the space he's aiming for, and those kicks were wrong. Yeah. Like he was making correct tactical decisions. He just executed them poorly and he got charged down on both occasions. And those cost Uruguay 14 points. Yeah. And suddenly a correct decision being made slightly too slowly is what's turned the game, is what's changed this from being one of the great upsets to being, you know, a win where the, the bigger team wins in the end reasonably comfortably. Sure. Suddenly, Italy are ahead and right in and around there, 
right as the game is starting to slide away, Andres Villaseca finds himself in the bin, the Uruguay captain. Yeah. This is weirdly a theme this weekend is centering captain, like the defensive captain <laughs> and the captain yeah. finding himself in the bin and suddenly the entire game changing and just like sliding sure. away. Yeah, Lorenzo Canoni took his try after that yeah. really well as well. Who had an excellent game again. Lorenzo Canoni usually does, but Villaseca, his presence is always very apparent especially so when he's not there. Yeah. And like Freitas is a really good centre. He's played both inside and outside. Defensive leader as well. But I just think he's nothing on the way that Villaseca can lead this. And also, why have Freitas over Villaseca when you can have both? You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. You then look at that Uruguay team, right? You look at the team that was on the field in the moments after Lamro scores his try and in the moments after Ioani scores his try, Right. You look at the team that's on that field, and a lot of them are young players. Yeah. You know, a lot of them, the Manuel Dows, the, even Santiago Arata is still only 25 or so. A lot of them are 25 and under, youngsters. And even more of them, not players who are experienced leaders, perhaps. Sure. Who are not players that have captained the, you know. So yeah. Manuel Dayana captained the Bjorgan 20s, you know, has captained Penarol in SLAR, Super Rugby Americas. But otherwise, that team is largely, you know, quite an inexperienced team who kind of were missing that player who can pull them in and just settle them down. Yeah. And especially when your fly-off is starting to lose his head, you need someone to pull him in rather than relying on your two halfbacks to do that. And on the flip side, Italy had bags of those. Absolutely. It's like, you know, Garbisi's, uh, Alessandro Garbisi's on young shoulders, but... Look who he's surrounded by. Tommy Allen. It's insanely experienced in several leagues and has played in a thousand Six Nations championships. Paolo Garbisi, again on young shoulders, but is unbelievably composed. You know, Michele Lamoro, Federico Ruzza has been captaining them. Even Ignacio Brex, you know, yeah. is a defensive leader. Like, there's so many of these players who are more experienced in that kind of facet. Yeah, I mean, so Canone, second row, Nicolo, variety. Yes. Again, as Captain Benetton, really experienced player, really calm figure. It is just across the board. Sebastian Negri winning his 50th cap as well. Yeah, Very yeah. happy to Nick kind of Atera, step up. like a young leader, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just kind of across the pit. Even Neymar obviously went away and became the world's most woke man after being the world's most horrible racist. So, you know, maybe he's learned some things there. Yeah, so it's a very, very big contrast in terms of one team panicking a bit yeah. and one team just being very calm and knowing what they have to do. And the moment, as you say, Uruguay start to lose their heads and while they're missing their key man to calm this down, and whilst their fly-off is starting to lose it a bit, they just turn the screw in a way that we haven't seen Italy do before. So this was one of the things I thought going into this game, is Italy, when they've been favourites, have broadly been quite rubbish. It happened with Wales mm. and the Six Nations. It happened last year with Georgia away. The only time we've seen this Italy team as favourites and gone on to win, other than perhaps Namibia last week, where actually they still struggled in that game more than they should for 50-odd minutes, Yeah, was the Samoa game last autumn. And yeah. I suppose Romania in the warm-ups, but this Romania team isn't really up to much. Sure. Bless them. But Samoa last autumn, where they went in as favourites, and they scored a couple of early tries, and then he just really put the foot yeah. in front and really kicked on. That's the most impressive thing about this victory for yeah. me. Like, I think it's... I th- think they'd have taken just winning by any margin. Yeah. But to come away with not only a bonus point, but like an absolutely resounding one. I think this is kind of a big coming of age for this Italy team. Yeah, massive. And it might not seem it to a lot of people because like, well, they just be a you know, bloody small nation. Yeah. But the thing is, this was a really tough team who really targeted them. 
Yeah. And they took them to the cleaners a little bit and they were able to do something Franz hadn't and get that bonus point and actually Indeed, put them away yeah. and like shut them down and sure, completely. People are going to look at the All Blacks getting a bonus point against them and putting 50 on them. Italy, this is. Yeah. And go, oh, bloody, they're not up to much. And you know what? You might be right, but I think that does slightly recontextualize that, that All Blacks mm. game for them. Uh, and more importantly, it recontextualizes it for, for Uruguay. Yeah. But I think just from a kind of Italian perspective, mm. this is them taking a major step forward because they've yeah, won a massively. game as favourites. They've kind of learned how to control a game. This was the thing I think they really desperately needed. And I think when they organised that tour last year to Romania, Portugal and Georgia, it was what they were hoping this team would develop. Yeah. But instead, they lost to Georgia. They almost lost to Portugal. They needed a late mall try to win it. And then Romania gave them a much better game than anyone was expecting or, you know, they were probably hoping. They thought this would be the game to the goal way and you'd have three games that are very winnable, but, you know, realistic challenges and they would win those games and they learn yeah. how to win games and that allowed them to kick on because up until now they've been learning to compete with teams who are better than them and they just need to get that final hurdle of like knowing how to win and understanding that yes. as a skill set and, and this game was them finally doing that yeah. after like four years of falling just short and you can't name one player in that Italian 23 who had less than a 6 or a 7 out of 10 yeah. game there yeah. which I think is the really refreshing thing if you're Kieran Crowley. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think this was a huge result for Italy. Yeah. I think it was a missed opportunity for Uruguay and I am absolutely heartbroken for them. Sure. Because I think this is a game that will haunt a lot of them. You saw Villaseca going off the pitch just to his wife and just starting crying both yeah. of them just crying to Bless. each other's arms which was it's beautiful but horrible. thing that's not quite gone to plan in Menezes' entire like, long-term yeah. plan. But there's one more thing about Uruguay that we have to talk about mm. and that's Manuel Ardao in six. Yes! who was unbelievable. I think he was probably the person who was saying was a man match contention. Obviously, you probably can't give it to him given the scoreline and given just how good Lamoureux, Alan, and, you know, all of these players were. But set the all-time World Cup record for most turnovers in a match with seven, which yeah. is insane. Well, this is the thing. So the previous record went to Carly Rackleroy on a game we covered on this podcast and didn't notice him doing that. No. <laughs> because... Because he came out afterwards and said that he wasn't trying. <laughs> yeah. That was like, honestly, that is... The 87 series in general is probably worth going back and listening to if you're... Yes. In New any Zealand way, versus Fiji, we did it with Jamie Wall. Good friend of the pod. Yeah. And at the end of the game, the Fijian captain, Colly Rackleroy, came out and said, yeah, we weren't trying. Yeah, we just we have Italy in four days. Yeah. So just, we've just rested all our good players and decided not to tackle so no one gets injured. So they had players literally stepping out the way of tackles and just not bothering at all so no one's risking getting injured. Yeah. It was and, the most business decision central game. They can never get away with it nowadays. There'll be like inquiries if they did it nowadays. For, please listen to that episode and listen to the whole thing about the perspective diffuse. David Kirk is really really funny I won't spoil it's it now fuming. I won't spoil it now but go and listen to that if you haven't already uh, it's very funny but yeah so Collie Rackleroy previously held the record turns out <laughs> six turnovers in that game turnovers weren't real in 1987 that's the thing right so Manuel Dow's stats have since been adjusted on the website to be four breakdown turnovers and three other turnovers okay um, but we got two rolled into seven in the official fantasy league thing but some stats are going to say four some stats are going to say seven Something can say six still because they're very up but and down. But they definitely weren't counts. breakdown turnovers in 1987. That's the there thing, breakdowns. That's the thing. I, I reckon I don't think there was interceptions. Yeah, I don't think there were six turn six breakdowns in that game. There yeah. were six breakdown turnovers. I reckon because like there was so often or like, like a people just ball or lob the ball yeah. and somebody else would catch it from the other or team. Or like you know there'd be a mall off a line out and someone would just come away with the ball because everyone's just competing for it and scrapping for it. Yeah, and no one knows it's on the floor. It's all bullshit. 1987 wasn't rugby. It wasn't anything. 
it was just a collection of men falling over so dogs. dogs could come on the pitch every now and again. Yes, exactly. And then Serge Blanco scored one of the great tries. Point being, Manuel Adao was outstanding. Manuel Adao outstanding. was absolutely He's phenomenal. He's going places, man. So, He's on the Miami Sharks roster for next season who are yeah. a brand new MLR team. But he is going to be so out of the league for <laughs> MLR. Like, I can only imagine that Premiership and Top 14 clubs are looking at him and going, let's sign him up. I will bet you... 10% of the contract he ends up signing that he will not boot the Miami Sharks next year. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty safe He bet. has made himself a number one target for any number of French clubs, Premiership clubs, Japanese clubs, URC clubs. Every top league is going to be after him. Yeah. There will be at least one club in every top league that wants Manuel Adal, that has him on like an absolute top radar. I- he was absolutely phenomenal. We bigged him up an awful lot in the Yorga video before the tournament. Yeah. I, you know, was bigging it before the game, before that France game. I tweeted that his name, Manuel Dow scans to Alela Bleu and I think we should be chanting that because I think he's better than the French national team on his own he's definitely the replacement for Gaminara that they needed mm. um, and he's doing brilliantly so far and excited to see him go up against the All Blacks yeah the comparison I made before not in the video just to you is Jimeno mm. um, he is Uruguay's Kazuki Jimeno yeah. In the, we said this, we didn't get a chance to talk about the, um, England Japan game in the end, but Japan are a different team when, the moment Jimeno's in there, they are a serious tier one side yeah. rather than a fun, entertaining tier 1.5 side. Sure. Jimeno completely changes that team because he is such a phenomenal yeah. athlete. He's he does every job of back rower phenomenally well. And just his ability to sneak things at the breakdown and how impossible he is to move changes how teams attack, you know, like not just his carrying what to the defense, like, in, teams have to change their entire strategy and attack because they have to watch out for Jimeno sure. and just bring extra people in to clear him out yeah. all the time yeah, he, and make sure he isn't taking him back It takes genuinely just so much effort to take him out. Yeah, I can only imagine the amount of energy that's expended by getting off the ball. And Malawar Dow is 24. Yeah. Um, he went to last World Cup as a 20-year-old. He is on his way to hitting those levels, to yeah. achieving that, to growing. Very excited and to see where he goes from here. Yeah. So he's been playing at Penarol, been captaining Penarol for a lot of the season. And yeah, he signed to play for the Miami Sharks and MLR. But I think he's going to be playing at high level, which More I think is like exactly... the Sharks yeah, this season. Little. That is exactly what he needs. This is a point we made in the last episode in Uruguay, but Santiago Rata and Manuel Landeca are the only players playing at the absolute top level. If they've got a third up there, we've also seen how much those two players have improved. Landeca was absolutely unbelievable two games in a row, yeah. uh, particularly in that France game. And Arata has just gone up to the point where he's one of the best scrumovs. He's top 10 scrumovs in the world, yeah. possibly top 5 scrumovs in the world. That wouldn't have been the case if he'd stayed at Penarol, you know, yeah. if he hadn't got the chance with Cass to play in the top 14. Manuel Dow could be one of those players, yeah. you know, and like... 100%. Manuel Dayan's contract fell through at Bristol, supposedly that almost happened. And you wonder what he could have been. You wonder where this Uruguay team could be if they were playing more regular games. Yeah. And it's on World Rugby, and it's on bloody Bill Beaumont, and it's on all the other unions, all the tier one countries to be organising these games because it's only for the growth and only for the development of the game yeah. if Uruguay are getting top flight fixtures and their players are playing in the top leagues. Definitely, definitely. So, should we leave that game there then? Yes. That was really good. Where do you want to go next? I'd like to go to the sink and get a glass of water. Then, should we talk about France? Yes. We should talk about France, and I shall talk whilst you go to the sink and get a glass of water. So, France played against Namibia. This was always going to be a tall order for Namibia. Namibia named their second team, and when France named their entire first team, with the exception of Gregory Aldrit, who's got an injury, 
And of course, they've swapped in Louis B.A. Barry for Gabon Villiers, which makes you wonder, maybe he is now in the first team. It was certainly his audition and he that's, did pretty damn well. That's the thing, isn't it? That 11 shirt for France is the one they haven't really nailed down in the last few years. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When Galtier first came in, he was really determined it was going to be Teddy Toma, and it has not been Teddy Toma. No. And since then, they've kind of floated through an awful lot of different players. Most recently, even Demortier, who was fantastic in the Six Nations, then fell off the face of the earth. Gone nowhere. I don't know but where just, he is now. It seems every single year, every single campaign, there's a different player, first choice in that 11 year of France. It's been the one position where it's not been a problem. They've had plenty of good players to fill it in, but they haven't nailed down who their first choice is. You know and how? Louis Biobere might have just taken it. He might be the one who wins in the last moment. You know, it's bloody, it's like the end of Hamlet. Like he just turns up right at the end and suddenly is king. You know how the All Blacks could discard all their wings at the age of 25? Yeah. But France are doing that at 21 now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They discard you after six months. Yeah. Like, Gaeton's going to get a run in the shirt. I know he's usually centre. He's going to get a run in the shirt next Six Nations. Then they're just going to go, actually, there's a kid in the under-20s who's really good. Actually, there's a kid in the under-18s who's even better. And De- Demortier's son is available now, actually. You know what's happened, right? Antoine Dupont's been taken into hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. What they're actually doing, a bit of his cheek came off, and they're going to, like a worm, they're going to split it off and clone next to DuPont, and he's going to play on the wing at one year old. The thing is, you say that, I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. Let's talk about France. You want the second DuPont at 12, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or fullback. Or fullback. You just want the pitch, I guess. France. They were unbelievable. Yes. Guess who port Damien Peno as their fantasy team captain? I Clive Rowlands. Yes, but also me. Oh, cool. Last week, I wasted a, my triple captaincy on Caleb Clark. And Ooh, mate. Yeah. This week, I decided instead to just put the entire French back three in. So I put B.A. Barry, I put in Damien Peno, and I put in Tomo Ramos. And it worked out pretty well because they all had absolute stormers. Damien Peno with the most frustrated hat-trick you'll ever see. Yep. Uh, I loved his third try where he got tackled from behind by Donko Berger, like from an offside position. And he puts the ball down and then just turns around and starts screaming like, why the fuck would you do that? That's such a dick move. Trying to tackle me from offside. Like, do you remember that one time when he got tried disallowed because Ali Price No, it wasn't. He's, that oh, was no, the he, thing. No, no, he, Price he takes him early and he's yeah. complaining to the referee. He's throwing his arms in the air. And as he's, <laughs> they come back down, he accidentally grabs the ball. Yeah. So he scored a try when he was trying to just complain to the referee. Yeah, which was a penalty try offence regardless. Yeah. Both of them were. But it very, very reminiscent of that. Yeah. Damian Pena was incredible. 
He was. And he's such a prick. I love him. Um, <laughs> yes. He's the biggest bellend in the world. The try he set up for DuPont just felt like such like a bad mouth. Yeah. You know? Like, just so effortlessly breaking the line and then just delivering that pass when he could have been just himself. He seems completely insufferable. He seems like the most horrible man to be around in the world. Like, I would hate to spend any more than a minute in his company. Yeah. And yet, I want to watch him play rugby forever. Oh, he's unbelievable. Also, Biel Biaio giving that, um, that assist to Jonathan Dante yeah. right at the start where he took the crossfield kick from Jalibert and just flipped it back on the inside whilst he was over the try line. I kind of love it. I kind of think it's a See, dick this move. Is, this is my thing I said at the time, right? And I know I say that a lot on this, but if I were a coach, and I very much am not, I would love that from 13 of the players on the field, in 13 of the positions on the field. But for my two wingers, I would hate that. Mm. Right, because in games of touch, I've done a similar thing where I've been an inch out from the yard, the, from the line, and I've chucked it in field for someone else to finish. And I've done it because I don't back myself because since COVID, I became fat and slow and I lost all pace I once had and ability to actually score tries. And I do it because I don't back myself, right? I want my winger backing himself 10 times out of 10. Mm. I, in that situation, you want your winger going for an audacious finish even if they don't finish it. Yeah, like in a, a game like this. One-handed yeah. dot down. If it's a World Cup final, maybe that's different. You know, like look at you yeah. in the last World Cup final. But in this situation, I want my winger going for that. And I think it's almost a droppable offence. It's not a droppable nah, offence. It's not. because it's, it's a fun thing in a game against it's, Namibia, which yeah. he won by 96 points. It's him it's saying, pick me, Villiers would never do this. Sure. But also... I kind of prefer that Villiers would have gone for the theatrical dive and finished like, it himself. Remember on Mapimpi's like second cap where he was on for a hat trick and then gave that extra yeah. ball to Apiwe Gianchi? Like, it's basically that. You know? Yeah. Personally, wouldn't read too much into it because he thankfully got two tries afterwards, which he took brilliantly. Mm. That second one in particular, just no oh, one gets yeah. anywhere near him because he's unbelievably fast. I was collecting the pizza as he was running that one in, but yeah, he had a brilliant game, I think. has definitely stuck his hand up with Villiers' position vulnerable. Yes. Dupont was very good and yes. is very good at this sport we call this uh, great game, uh, rugby. Hello, I'm Bill Beaumont. Hello, Bill. Hello, I'm Bill Beaumont. Hello, Bill. Hello. I would like to ask you some questions. Okay, ask me some questions. Do you like our great game of rugby? I think it's all right. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, Okay, yes, I do. What's your favourite thing about Antoine Dupont? Well, for me, the best thing about Antoine Dupont is the way that he respects the values of our great game. Okay. What's your favourite value of the great game? That's the most difficult question of them all. It's like picking your children, isn't it, Bill? It's like picking which of my favourite children is Josh. I was going to say, which of your, your favourite children is the one who's got uncapped England yeah. games under his belt? But for me... Why is it lost the voice. I've completely lost the voice. I was doing such a good Bill Bowman yesterday. Bill's left the building. He's unfortunately the had a heart attack. We may not return to that bit. Anyway, ever. Antoine um, Dupont, Antoine Dupont was very, very good. Kicks off both feet, yeah. Just because he here's can. the thing, right? Like Bill Beaumont wouldn't like this. Bloody Pablo Matera wouldn't like this. That was not respect. <laughs> As Matera <laughs> might say, that was not respect. respect. The him ripping from... it out of like Malvaca's about to go over for a try, and he rips out his hand so he can do an audacious crossfield kick. And like Damian Penner doesn't need to score two minutes in against Namibia. No. He knows he's going to score a hat-trick. It's fine. You don't need to force that. But it was great. It was yeah. unbelievable. I loved it. It was incredible. Great to watch. The last one he did where he did the quick tap and then kind of runs sideways and then delivers 
the left-footed crossfield for B.O. Barry is like one of the most incredible pieces of skill I've ever seen on a rugby field. It was just like, yeah, we get it. You can do this against Namibia. You're like, but we've seen you do this against the All Blacks before and the Springboks and whoever, England, whatever. Like, we know you can do this. What's the point? Uh, third French player to ever got a hat-trick in the World Cup. Dummy Penner tonight. Okay. Um, do you know who the other two were? The other two, uh, Vincent Clare. Yep. And... Against Canada in 2011. Was it song 2007? It was song 2007. Cedric Amor. And I have also forgotten, is the thing. Shit. And I was hoping you'd get there before me. Because I was thinking of Googling. Clement Patronin, I think. Maybe against Namibia. No, hat trick in 2007 was also Vance on Claire. Oh, Vance on Claire got two hat tricks. That one, one against Namibia in 2007 in their 87-10 win. And then um, one against Canada in 2011. Yep, in the rain and horrible game where they just kicked it in the air constantly and Claire kept yes. scoring off it. And another player who will, will, will pick up another time because we can only know bloody four things about rugby, can't we? Sure. That was a deeply, deeply unsatisfying segment and I apologize for that. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Look, France, broadly fantastic. Yeah. There was a little bit where they switched off in the second half, but I don't think it's a concern. No. I don't think there's anything in that. I don't really think there's anything there. There's a little bit of them that's just clearly concerned after the DuPont injury. Yeah. I think in games like that, Jalabert is unbelievable. Yeah. Always, you know, going for his chip kicks, going for his fancy out the back passes. Like, I think if you let Jalabert have fun, you see the best version of him. It was a real joy to see that. And also, I think the most important things were Cyril Bai. And Jonathan Dante both pulling through. Yes. Dante in particular scoring two tries and just looking incredible. Like every ball carry he made, he was just shrugging people off. He was a menace at the breakdown as he always is, slowing the ball down. It just, he's unbelievable. I think he's, he's one of the best centers in the world, if not the best center in the world. And just having him back is such a huge boost for France, especially with the context of who they potentially have lost. Absolutely. I'm going to say, I was completely wrong on that stack. Someone on TV said it was the third hat trick for France, third place to score hat trick for France. It's bloody not, right? We also had Jean-Baptiste Lamford against Fiji in 1999 and two players we covered on the podcast, Didier Camembert-Ribeiro and Rodif Modan against Zimbabwe. Oh, yes, of course. Rodif Modan, who only got one cap. Yes, and Didi Camembert-Ribeiro setting the all-time points record in international rugby at the time. Yeah. Uh, in that game. Yes, I remember this now. And also, obviously, in the French-USA game in 1987, I'm sure somebody would have got a hat-trick. Yeah, that was a superb game. Great game. And great game. maybe the most recommended episode of this podcast. Yes. Um, there's something absurd on this as well, where they've put hat-tricks of drop goals on the official list oh, mate, of counts. World Cup hat-tricks. So and George Ford and Tynes Cotter are on there. Yep. How many of them can you name? Quick quiz. Uh, George Ford, Tynes Cotter. There are Danny six. Oh, I don't know. Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny Wilkinson again. No. Oh, shit. You're um, missing one. Oh, am I? You um, said, well, you said, you've said George Ford, you said Johnny Wilkinson, you've said Tynes Cotter, you've said Yanni Debeer. Yeah, you're missing yeah, who's one. Who's the other one? Uh, Juan Martin Hernandez. Oh, fair play. Which we haven't covered yet in the podcast. Yeah. So the next episode, spoilers. next episode we cover shit. after the World Cup. So, spoilers. I need to forget about that. Right, yeah. Okay. We will. So, do we have anything else to say on France? I don't think so. I don't think so. It was just, I would say, a near perfect performance for them. Not that it relative to what to they needed to do and yeah. what they were doing. Let's say yeah, an A minus for France. Sure. Um, to pick up on Namibia briefly. Yes. We have seen their coach, Alice Gotsia, come out and say that it was a real off night. They're really not proud of what happened. No. It wasn't on at all. It was a kind of lambs to slaughter team, but I don't think they're expecting this bigger slaughtering. No. I think they had enough really good players in there that, yeah. Like, the backline was not bad at all. You know, Cleveland Lopes are very experienced good player. player. Um, great at MLR level. JC Crayling has been really, really good. This is his third World Cup. Has been excellent in the previous two that he's been to. You know, 
Duncan Berg has been brilliant so far. Johan Dazel is a legend of the game for Namibia. And real shame to see that's how he ended his career with that horrible yeah. shot on Antoine Dupont, which it's, was awful and deserved a red card. One of these, it's a clear red card. He deserves a ban for the tackle itself. Yeah. But also, I hope he doesn't get one. I hope they can suspend it until after these games because he deserves, like on the basis of his career, he deserves to have the swan song. He deserves to have that game against Uruguay yeah. where they can perhaps be more competitive because he has turned up and he's worked so hard in so many thrashings for Namibia. Yeah, he's so been many games where they weren't competitive or couldn't have been competitive and he's made them more competitive because he's such a brilliant player yeah. and such a brilliant, brilliant I captain. really hope that's not how he ends his international career yeah, because he too. is an amazing player and he deserves better but it's his own fault that it's ended like this Absolutely, like, yeah. no, make no, no mistake I don't, I don't want to make any excuses for the tackle itself it's no, just it's such a shame to see that's the way it's going out yes. as much as you know obviously I want Dupont to recover obviously that's the priority of this player safety but also yeah it's just it's a shame for you and Dezel the I Namibian think... pack very poor um, got mm. bullied up front didn't manage to slow the ball down at all for France I think one quick word for Prince Kalseb who I thought was generally pretty good He's he um, works his sock off every time the Amount he was also able from eight to pull the ball at his own scrum. Just that's very true. Ass. That's very uh, true. Namibia Difficult were skill. yeah Jacques recovering their own ball. Insane. Yeah, incredibly well off a scrum that was retreating the entire time. Yeah, uh, and I thought yeah he worked incredibly, incredibly. And Desefi tried his best to hang in there, you know. Yeah, against Weenie Tony. I'm a big fan of Desefi, and easy. I thought he was as good as you could have been given the situation he was in. Yeah. But I think the main thing about Namibia, right, is like the people look at the scoreline and think Namibia are a joke or Namibia are just a shit team who don't deserve to mm. be there. And I think it's to do them a real disservice. Like, I'm still gutted they missed that game against Canada that they could have won in the last World Cup. Oh, they would have um, won that. Easy. Yeah, and they won when they rearranged that fixture for a couple of years later. You know, Namibia ends up winning that in the last minute or so. And Namibia are a great team. They're yeah. a really fun team and they deserve to be here, you know? They comfortably win the African qualifying each and yeah. every time. They come through really well. They're a really well-organized team. I've talked in the past in a couple of videos about their issues around the union and then perhaps not getting the support that they want because people are going out on socials and jollies around the World Cup instead of perhaps investing it back into the sport. But there are not only a great team of really hard workers who deserve to be here and are World Cup quality players, but also there's such a chance to build something on this. Yeah. And if we start writing off teams like Namibia as being jokes, as being, you know, just not walkers, situation no we need to be a making sure that they're supported properly and they're getting game time outside of this and we've played eight games in four years between world cups which is absurd and need to be getting further fixtures covid obviously didn't help that and they are the one team that i think would be actively helped yeah. by a tiered world league system sure because it would mean they were forced to have games yeah. all the other teams are being hamstrung maybe you just need any game time they can get yeah because they're not being given it they're not no. being given it and France have played more games this year leading to the World Cup than they maybe played in four years since the last World Cup. How ridiculous is that? Like, how do you expect these guys to be yeah. to prepare? I'm sure if you ask for a show of hands in a crowded room, who thought the Rugby World Cup was done with 96 nil drubbings? A yeah. lot of people would put their hand yeah. up because we've not seen one of those in a lot of World Cups now. Um, 2003 was the last time we had a margin this big. England-Uruguay in 2003 was the last yeah. margin this big. It's been a long, long time since that's happened. And I think a lot of people thought that that was dead and gone. But mm. actually, we need to be actively making sure that is the case by yeah. giving Namibia the game time and the exposure and the training training facilities and so on that they deserve the other side of this though is we do need to be holding the Namibian European Union to account yes because a lot of that is on them yeah right if Uruguay can manage to organize all of this with a similar population with a I mean so there was an alarming thing that Cosier said in an interview this week where he said they have about a thousand registered players 
which is absurdly low. Yeah. And hence why a lot of the players, the likes of Tian Swanepoel and so on, players of African heritage who are, you know, have Namibian ancestry and are able to call on through that. Richard Hardwick, you know, yeah. Australian, but, you know, Namibian heritage. And incredibly proud of it and clearly loves his time with Namibia. Yeah, like yeah, he's, yeah. he's doing a great life. job. And congratulations and... to him and his wife as well. Yes. You know, there's a lovely way of them announcing that with them having the, stacking the free shows on top of each other. Yes, having a baby daughter. Yes. But yeah, we need to be holding the Namibian Rugby Union into account because they were not doing the things that were required of them. There's a huge amount of money coming in from qualifying for consecutive World Cups back to back to back. And yet there is absolutely nothing to show for we it. Have no idea there's no going. professional players. There's no professional pathways. There's no age race system. There's no women's team. There's no games being organized. Most of the games that are being organized are away. So it's not yeah. like they're putting into hosting costs There's no and so evidence on. that they're trying to push any of these players into professional yeah. environments either or give them the right facilities. You know, like even if it is like we're seeing with women's rugby that yeah. you can centrally contract some of these players and just give them full time. And it doesn't have to be a lot of them. Well, we've seen in past them be able to enter Velvicha teams and so on into the Curry Cup and the like. Yeah. Right. In And have a setup similar to the Jaguars of Argentina, to the Black Lion of Georgia, to the Penarol or the or Selknam with Uruguay yeah. and Chile. Do you have a chance to do something like that? And they're not doing it. None of this money is being spent in any way that is recognizable. Yeah. You know, and I reckon a lot of money went into just surviving COVID. I get that. I understand that. I also don't know what you're surviving if the only thing up for debate is the board members. Yeah. You know, that presumably can't take pay cuts. I don't know. Because the players aren't needing to take pay cuts because they're not getting paid in the first place anything over the match fees. You yeah. know, there's talk of them, some of them paying their own flights and so on to get yeah. over if they're playing overseas. You know, the likes of Klaus Ebb, who's playing at the Tel Aviv Heat or, you know, the players that are playing in MLR. The Mimi Rugby Union is not doing enough to yeah. push these players because these players bloody deserve it. They do. And that scoreline... They made a lot right? of sacrifices for yeah. the 96-0. The points they've scored in this World Cup are on those players. Yeah. The points scored against them are largely from the union and on the yeah. union and on them not doing enough. Yeah. I would love to hear Jacques Berger's full side of the story. Yeah. And him to just let, 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 let loose at some point publicly because yeah. I'm sure he has a lot to say about how far this team can go and should be going and isn't get, being given the platform to go. Yeah, it was something. So we tried um, in lieu when we were struggling to get footage for the uh, Namibia video. Yeah, I, tried organizing, <laughs> I tried organizing um, an interview with Alistair Gotzia and I got, you know, reasonable way through Namibia's stuff and then it fell apart very quietly. I don't know what happened, but I got, you know, had a number of conversations with people with, involved in the union's kind of media side who apparently great and lovely and, you know, got on with fine and were very willing to be helpful. And I would have loved to have asked some questions of Kotzia of how he got involved of what the process is like and how it differs from South Africa and how it differs from professional clubs environments he's been involved with because the stuff he said in this World Cup around that has been very, very revealing because people only listen to him in this position around World Cups. And I think it's important that we try and have some conversations outside of World Cups and make sure there is pressure put on them because here's the thing, right? Namibia have now played three of the four games. They'll be out of this competition at the end of the pool stage. I know. They'll be out this competition at the pool stage. And, and we won't see him again for ages, probably. Yeah. Anything else and I'll miss him. We'll see them in qualifying, providing we'll be bloody televise it. And then we probably won't see them again. And they'll fade into the background. And if there are any questions asked that. of them, if a player like Berg or anyone else of their stature does talk about what's gone on in the way Jacques Berger did around the last World Cup, yeah. it will then get brushed under because the quarterfinals will happen, which are a bigger deal, which are yeah. more important. Because, you know, somewhere along the way, you know, 
a big team will get knocked out prematurely and that'll become the talking point. That'll become the scandal. That'll be the thing that they're putting pressure on the union and putting pressure on a coach. Yeah. When actually, the thing we should be holding to account is the likes of the Namibian Rugby Union, the Canadian Rugby Union, or the Canadian Rugby Federation, who aren't doing enough to support their nation yeah. and are actively damaging the sport in that country. And maybe I've been too harsh on them, maybe, you know, because I'm sure it's mm. a very, very difficult job. I but think these it's players, to be these players deserve point. more. Yeah. And I don't think they're getting the support they deserve. And I'm sure there's lots of people there that are doing a wonderful job and really doing the best for these players. But also, I don't know, man. We're not seeing the results. We're not seeing any investment. They haven't improved in four years. No, they haven't um, at all. And these players don't deserve to be losing 96-0 yeah. in the World Cup on the and biggest. The most telling thing, right, is how good they were in patches against Italy. Mm. Right, and in patches in that Italy game, they look like they'd be kicking on challenging teams, and they looked really good for it. And then since then, obviously they played two of the best teams in the world, so it's been very different playing New Zealand and France, and we'll see how they play against Uruguay. But oh, I don't know, I don't know, man. There's enough look. signs there that they should be kicking on. And we talk more about the movie than France, but isn't that the way of this podcast that we talk all about hey, the smaller teams? We're at the magical 59 minutes mark. Okay, here. okay. So I'm going to end by asking you one question, please. Do Namibia win that game with Byron McGuigan playing? Well, he's a coward and a lily-livered, spine-dodging nonsense man. So I think they probably lose by more with you Byron think? McGuigan playing. Because he, if he didn't have the backbone to play for Namibia when he declared for Namibia, then I think good riddance to him. Fighting words, Robbie Owen. Thank you, people, for listening. <laughs> what's, your, what's your take? Yes, they win. Okay. Well. Yeah. Uh, thank you. We should probably go to bed at some point. Yeah, we probably should. It's a big day of bloody rugby time tomorrow. Yeah. At so, some point we'll get to the, all of the games that we've not done. Yeah, like, it's a lot to keep up with because we're trying to keep up with videos. We're trying to do other stuff. It's bloody hard. We're trying to get through these games. We're trying to do this. We're just putting them out as we go. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Or we won't, and that's fine. We're just... Talking about rugby, we're just two cool cats no. chatting about hockey. Okay, we need to go to bed. We need to go to bed. We need to consider choices that we've been making. And we will see you very soon. And we will watch some hockey. Oh. No? Rugby. Shit. Thank you, everybody. It's a wonderful game. Shut up, Bill. Ow. 